Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Now, before we get into today's message, I want to pause and wish all of the mothers watching a happy Mother's Day. Because of the lockdown, I can't see my mother today. Many of you probably can't see yours either. If we were in person, we'd celebrate mothers with a flower and a gift. But today, accept this special message from us to you. To all the moms, moms of children who are still at home or all grown up, moms who've outlived a son or daughter, or moms of babies they never got to hold, moms who've raised kids all on their own or became a mom to someone who needed one, moms of children who have wandered from God or the longing to be moms who are still waiting. God perfectly arranged each of you into the role you have today. His word recognizes you as capable, strong, and praiseworthy. Everything you do makes our lives more beautiful. Happy Mother's Day. Now we're in a series in John's Gospel right now called Life Full and Unending, where we're looking at some of Jesus's most precious promises about life and eternity. And today we're looking at the things that keep us from the truth and from confronting reality. Now that may not sound like a very important or perhaps a very interesting topic to you because today we live in a world where the value of truth has been in decline. Matt Schneider gives evidence that that's the case. In 2006, for instance, he notes that Merriam-Webster's word of the year was truthiness. It was a word that was popularized by comedian Stephen Colbert. He said, truthiness is what you want the facts to be as opposed to what the facts are. What feels like the right answers as opposed to what reality will support. Truthiness is more convenient than truth. Now in 2016, as claims of fake news could be heard from almost every corner of the political spectrum, the Oxford Dictionary named post-truth as its word of the year. Then the next year, Kellyanne Conway caused a stir for coining the term alternative facts. And then in 2018, Rudy Giuliani famously said, truth isn't truth. <laughs> It's like truth has died in our society and nobody seems to mind. Now that's something that should trouble all of us because it means that true statements have no more impact than lies. In a post-truth world, the only thing matters is who, who shouts the loudest. Without a commitment to truth, there can't be any trust. At an individual level, it means it'll become more and more difficult for parents to persuade their children, for husbands to find unity with their wives, for neighbors to find a common basis of understanding, and for any of us to feel the weight of God's word. The stakes are high. So today, I'd like to look to God's word to see how another generation dealt with truthiness. It shows us how to recognize the things that we love more than the truth. And we need to confront, confront them because when you trade the truth for anything, you're liable to lose everything. Now, if you're going to take my word as truth, 
then you've missed the whole point of today's message. So I hope that you would turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 45. If you don't have a Bible, just click on the link for today's passage in the description below. John 11, 40, 45, and I'll start, I'll start reading. Uh, I'll start reading there and continue to the end of the chapter. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? Did he not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. This is the word of God. Now what this passage gives us is really an autopsy of people who refuse to love the truth. We're supposed to see them as tragic figures and warnings, but also to see aspects of ourselves in them. The first warning is that we often love our position more than we, more than we love the truth. We become defensive anytime we perceive someone or something as a threat to our group or our reputation, our status, or our standing. That defensiveness keeps us from hearing. We love our position more than we love the truth. Now, verse 45 opens up with a hopeful statement, but it feels like we're jumping in partway through a story, and we are. The, therefore, it's there as a hint that this is connected to what came before this in the rest of chapter 11. If you weren't with us last time, Jesus had miraculously brought his friend Lazarus back to life after he'd been dead and in the grave for four days. When he raised him up, there was a crowd of mourners present, and Lazarus was still bound in strips of linen, so the healing was unmistakable. When we read that many of the Jews who had seen what he did believed in him, it seems obvious to, to us. How could anyone not believe? How could anyone be an eyewitness to such an unforgettable event and not put your faith in the one who brought it about? But amazingly, not everyone did. Verse 46 says, But some of, the, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Now try and put yourself in their shoes, because you may have been tempted to do the exact same thing. 
The Pharisees seemed to the Jews like the answer to life in a world where morality and faithfulness to God were being threatened. They were the conservatives, the fundamentalists of their day, and many respected them for it. But Jesus criticized them for the way that they loved money and added rules to God's word. And despite all their religious diligence, they neglected the more important values like justice and mercy. Jesus threatened their movement. He seemed like an obstacle to their making more of an impact on the nation as a whole. And if you're reading your Pharisee friends' Facebook posts, following your Pharisee friends' group chats, and watching your Pharisee friends' videos on YouTube, all you know is that Jesus is bad. He's bad. <laughs> you've, you've heard some version of that message a million times. But then you go to a friend's funeral and you see Jesus bring the man back to life. Now you're faced with this undeniable evidence that Jesus is good and you have a dilemma. If you accept the truth of what you've just seen, you'll have to conclude Jesus is good. And the problem with that is that it'll put you at odds with all your Pharisee friends. Your position in your group will be jeopardized. You'll lose friends. You'll lose the support of this community that means so much to you. And you'll be forced to critique a movement that's felt really positive to you. When you find yourself at that moment, love the truth more than you love your position. Nietzsche said, sometimes people don't want to hear the truth because they don't want their illusions destroyed. Don't be that person. Be willing to give up your illusions, to give them up for the truth. Be willing to give up your traditions for the truth or to give up your denomination for the truth. Be willing to give up your religion for the truth. Because when you trade the truth for anything, you're liable to lose everything. When news reached the Pharisees, it shows them in verse 47, raising their concerns with the council. Now, this is a reference to the Sanhedrin. It was a Jewish governing body in Israel. It was mostly ruled by another sect of Judaism known as the Sadducees. They controlled the priesthood. But they were the religious liberals of the day. Their deliberation is interesting. Watch what they say in verses 47 and 48. What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now, notice that no one disputes the miracles themselves. Jesus wasn't like the scandal-plagued faith healers of our day. They conceded the miracles that Jesus was doing, but they feared what they might lose if they allowed him to continue. If everyone started following him, that would mean fewer people following them. And if the nation put their faith in him as the Messiah, Rome might step in and put an end to the temple and the Jewish autonomy that had been granted them. The irony is, Jesus had no political ambitions. He wasn't a threat to Rome. He ruled a kingdom that was not of this world. But they were so locked in to their down with Jesus bubble, they never stopped to consider that. They never really listened to him. 
Today, we live in an age where holding to God's truth is likely to cost us something. When you're tempted to bend because of what you might lose, remember this. The Sadducees rejected Jesus because they were afraid that the Romans might take away their temple and their nation. But in losing Jesus, in rejecting him, they lost their temple and their nation as well. In 70 AD, Jewish revolts led to the Roman destruction of their temple and the scattering of the Jews. Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees died out as movements soon after. When you reject the truth for fear of what you might lose, you lose the protection of the God who guards you. When you trade the truth for anything, you're liable to lose everything. As Susan David once said, discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. Don't love your position more than you love the truth. But don't love your security more than you love the truth either. Sometimes our instinct for self-preservation is stronger than our instinct for embracing reality. We love security more than the truth. And when we do that, we open ourselves up to great loss. Now, nobody embodies this truth more than Caiaphas. He had a unique flair for self-preservation. He was a Jewish high priest at a time when a single misstep was enough to be sacked by the Roman governor. In fact, the three high priests prior to Caiaphas and the one after him held their office for only about a year each. Caiaphas was high priest for 18 years. That was longer than anyone else in the first century. He was an operator and he knew how to protect himself. But he had something else that I think would endear him to our generation. Bravado. <laughs> Look at him bursting into the discussion in verse 49. He's speaking to a room full of the 70 most powerful leaders in Israel. And his opening line is, you know nothing at all. <laughs> That's bold, right? Then in verse 50, he goes on to say, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should perish for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. It's like he's saying, are you all so stupid? Am I the only one who's got this figured out? Jesus has to die. That's the only way our people will be spared. I think Caiaphas would be a hero today. Brendan Nyan said, right now it pays to be outrageous, but not to be truthful. And I think he's right. We want our leaders to be bold and aggressive. We want fighters. We want people who will speak their minds and the louder, the better. Is that what you listen for in the people who influence you? Everything about Caiaphas's tone should have been a warning to the other leaders that he wasn't speaking for God. They knew, for instance, the principle of Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. They'd heard the warning of Isaiah 520, uh, 521. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. And they knew the promise of Psalm 25.9, where it says, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. They knew these things. They had studied these things, but they ignored them. And I fear that we do the same today. 
Anytime you listen to someone or read someone that says everyone else is stupid and they've got the real information, shouldn't that give you pause? Too often it doesn't. We prefer people who stir our outrage, but the Bible calls us to humility. And we need to listen with humility as well. And that means that we listen to people who agree and disagree with us. And we should expect humility from those who influence us. The know-it-all Caiaphas turned out to know very little. While he called for Jesus to be killed in order to spare the nation, he was actually calling for the death of the Savior who had been sent to rescue the nation. In choosing self-preservation over the truth, Caiaphas was actually securing his own judgment. And as if to mock his pride and his smug attitude, God shaped his words through a double meaning into what would become a prophecy of what Jesus would do through his death. As he, as he says in verse 51, Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Don't choose self-preservation over God's word. Don't try to save yourself and in so doing, reject the salvation that Jesus came to provide. Don't love your security more than you love the truth. When you trade the truth for anything, you're liable to lose everything. Finally, don't love religion more than you love the truth. We can become more committed to the form of religion than the God who should be at the center of it. We can confuse our habits and traditions with what God wants to do in our lives. It's dangerous to love religion more than we love the truth. And yet, that's exactly how this passage ends. With plans set in motion to put Jesus to death, verse 50, 54 says, Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. The Savior is hunted by those he came to save. Jesus now needs to plan his steps in order to time his end. It's a kind of situation that you'd expect of people who were in angry rebellion against God. But look at the very next verse. Verse 55 says, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Guess what? As an evil plot is afoot to kill the Son of God, religion is thriving in Jerusalem. Isn't that ironic? The population of Jerusalem would go from about 100,000 to almost a million at major festivals like the Passover. And before they could take part in Passover itself, they needed to ritually purify themselves. But as earnest as everyone seems, this is a truly ridiculous scene. While the nation is flocking to the priests to be purified, those same priests are plotting the death of the one who was sent to purify them. And while people prepare to celebrate God's great rescue in Egypt at Passover, Plans have been set in motion to kill the very one who had rescued them so many years ago. And again, you have to ask, how? How could people be so 
religious, and yet so oblivious to the reality of what was happening. It's because they love their religion more than they love the truth. They love their ritual cleansing more than the one who could actually cleanse them. They love their celebrations more than the one who is to be celebrated. As Paul said in Romans 10 too, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Or as Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8 and 9, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Could those verses be describing you? Do you love the habit of religion more than God himself? Do you give God a lot of nice words to hide the fact that your heart's not really in it? Or is the problem that you're fully committed, but just not committed to the truth? You're diligent with your religious practices, but the reality is they're just human traditions. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 and 11 warns this. Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. You ever think of God like that? When people refuse to love the truth, God gives them a lie. And when you see someone believe that lie, you think, why can't they see it? It's like their eyes have been closed and their ears have been shut up. That's heartbreaking when you see someone like that, particularly if it's someone close to you. You want to wake them up. But the warning is that it can happen to all of us if we refuse to love the truth. Do you love the truth? If you love the truth, you'll take time each day to read and reflect on God's word. If you love the truth, you'll let its message change the way that you think and act. If you love the truth, you'll love the one who is the truth, the one who came to rescue you, the one who came to save you from your sins, the one who through the resurrection provided unmistakable evidence that faith in him isn't just truthiness. It's not just believing what you want to be true, it's believing what is true. In 1879, George DeLong set out with the crew of the USS Jeanette in hopes of sailing to the North Pole. Map, ma map, map makers at the time were convinced that there was an ice-free polar sea. Being the first to reach that sea and claim the waters was an explorer's dream. And so many had tried. The problem was that however meticulously each expedition followed the maps, they kept running into the ice. Rather than concede that their maps were wrong though, they modified their ideas and claimed there was an icy circle surrounding the polar sea. And one map, ma map maker claimed to have identified a gateway through it. By pushing through the thin wall of ice, you'd find yourself in clear waters, he promised. As bold as his assurances were though, they weren't bold enough to get in the boat and actually join the expedition. But George DeLong and his crew were intent on finding their way through. It wasn't long though before he realized the maps just didn't reflect reality. Instead of a gateway through a thin circle of ice, they instead found ice 
as far as they could see. They had to accept the truth and concede that the map makers had been wrong, but not before their ship became trapped in the ice. The USS Jeanette sank and George DeLong and most of his crew died. Their deaths are a warning of the dangers of believing what you want to be true rather than believing what is true. Jesus wants you to have the assurance of eternal life, and he's provided the resurrection to convince you. Don't let your fear of what you might lose keep you from believing. When you trade anything for truth, you're liable to lose everything. If you haven't already come to Jesus for salvation, come to him today. If you have, be a lover of the truth. Show that you love the truth by taking time to read and reflect on God's word. Stop going with your gut and rely on the truth of the scriptures. Show that you love the truth by your humility. Be someone who listens well and considers evidence carefully. Show that you love the truth by rejecting the Caiaphases of our world. People who are big on pride and outrage, but not big on truth or humility. And show that you love the truth by loving the one who is the truth. Jesus is the one. He's the one who deserves our allegiance, not our traditions or our rituals or our religion. He's the resurrection and he gives life to all who trust in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Thank you that you have given us truth in a world that has proclaimed itself post-truth. A world that is without an anchor because it has moved past the mooring of uh, your truth. Father, help us to see those things that would keep us from embracing your truth and holding on to it. Help us to deal with the things that we love more than the truth. Help us to see the illusions that we cling to instead of accepting and acting on the truth and the reality that you proclaim. And help us, Father, to embrace Jesus as the truth. He's the one who came in humility. He's the one who came to serve and not to be served. He's the one who came to set us free. Lead us into that freedom, Father. As we receive his truth and as we follow him in the truth. Guide us, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to see some of the obstacles to truth in our world today. And I hope it's helped you to see the one who is the truth more clearly. If the message has stirred up questions or if you want to know more about a relationship with Jesus, then send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.